Welcome to the Mark Steering Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guest tonight's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Steering, and I'm a 15-plus-year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Steering, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, and most of the places you get music online. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Got an extra buck or two? You might toss it in the podcast tip jar. Please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music Podcast. Also, consider help get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating interview on iTunes, and or tell a friend or two. Happy Thought of the Day is by James Cotton. I just want everybody to have a good time because I'm going out to have a good time. I'm going to go have some fun. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 261. Please support this week's sponsors, 45th Parallel Distilleries, ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the B-Dale Club. Also, thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Was asked by my therapy dog, Nonprofit, Copper the Wonder Gold, and I work for Canine Inspired Change to produce a new podcast called Canine Inspired Podcast. Got about a month or so of shows in the can and anxious for y'all to hear it when it drops October 20th. Last week's Geeks Wrap Up. Wednesday, played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Congrats on cleaning up on the drinking, Oz. Proud of you, bud. Thursday, played a duo show at B-Dale Club in Roseville slash St. Paul, Minnesota. John Claude Van Dam was there. Friday, played a solo show at Volstead in Egan, Minnesota. Bummed to get the news that all future shows are canceled due to COVID. Saturday, played a duo show at Eagle Lounge at Fox Creek, Wisconsin for Oktoberfest. And I won the Hammerschlagen tournament. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, October 14th, 2020, I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Holt, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Saturday, October 17th, I'll be playing a duo show at Vanelli's by the Lake in Forest Lake, Minnesota from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Part three of three with harmonica extraordinaire, author, and star of the Netflix documentary Satan and Adam, Adam Gusso. We talk Adam's harp influences, Sterling McGee's eulogy, Sugar Blue, and more. Enjoy the conversation. People, people, people. Every day I got a smile on my face. I'm so glad to see you. So, so actually, what I should do is I should I should there, there's two things I, I'm here to sell. Let's do that. Say. Let's talk about that then. So, so one is the Sir Rod the Blues Doctors and, and sort of that the, the weird and amazing thing that, that happened there. But the other thing is is a book that I have coming out in October. Um, this is the Bound Galley. Who's Blues Facing Up to Race and the Future of the Music? I just want to make sure that people know that that's out there. That I have a book that I'm and I'm a writer as well as a as well as a musician. And it's a it's a book that I think will be. Uh, Will provoke some interesting conversations. So, cool. and you've written five books, right? This will be the sixth. I think this is the sixth. You're right. Yeah, 
Yeah, most of them are about blues in one way or another. Wow, I could ask you about writing too. But um, uh, I'm going to dive into, maybe you want to give us a quick s- summary of what the experience was like giving that that eulogy outside for this friend and mentor of yours. What was that yeah. feeling like and how did your speech sure. get over with his family and friends? Yeah, well, and it's funny. I actually talk a little bit in 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 the eulogy itself. Um, I talk a little bit about the fact that I initially, I, I, I mean, I wanted to be there, but I, you know, I, I was thinking in terms of, well, I'm obviously not going to fly because that's dangerous. So these days, so you know, the drive I've made it before, but it's about 800 miles each way, and I was thinking that's going to kill three days. And as much as I want to be there, I can't afford to do that. I got too much work as a, as a college professor. So what do you do? I was basically, I had a perfect excuse not to go. And my wife, Thursday night, just sort of said, well, why don't you think about flying? And I said, well, that's dangerous. And she said, no, you know, you can do that these days. It, it's, and, and so I, the moment I began to think about it, then I suddenly, the emotion came because his death was expected. It, he had survived COVID. I should say he got COVID. He, w- he went from the nursing home to the emergency room. He was put in intensive care. Then they, he survived intensive care. He, they backed him down to normal hospitalization, and then they released him. And we're all saying, Mr. Satan cannot, cannot be killed. You know, he, got, he beat COVID. But, it, you know, COVID's a tough thing. And he, he was frail at this point, and it, it got to his kidneys and sort of so he ended up dying, you could say, from complications. Uh, you, he's a COVID death, it's fair to say, but it's complications from that. So it was expected. I, I, I did not cry when I got the news. I kind, of, I, I kind of knew it was coming. Once I knew he was in hospice, I knew it was coming. But the tears came when I began to suddenly think about not the old man that he'd become, but when I began to think about, I almost like I heard his voice, kind of like, Mr. Adam, you know, you could, why don't you go and tell you got to go down there and tell people about the life we lived. You can, you know, go ahead, Mr. Adam, go on down and, and, and tell them about what we did. And, and I can feel it right now. It's like the moment I heard his voice, the younger, more, much more vital man in his 50s that I remember, was the moment I thought, you know, man, I, I am probably the only person who could possibly do this. Go and tell people about how he flowered during that period, how he went from a guy who with all of this background, but who had become kind of a, just a, he had a spot on the street and how we joined forces, the two of us, um, the documentary, by the way, got one thing wrong, which is that I didn't just lose a girlfriend the next day, wander through Harlem. I had two and a half years of paying my dues as a busker and in a clubs in New York. And I had a black harmonica teacher named Nat Riddles who is not mentioned in the documentary. So there was a whole lot of growth. By the time we met each other, we were both basically were over the heartbreak thing. And that's when we bonded. And that's when we sort of had this incredible thing that pulled the best out of each other. Clearly, my life would not begin to be the same life if I hadn't met him and if he hadn't made that space. By the same token, it's fair to say that I catalyzed something for him and having me out there, having the team thing enabled him to, to, to flourish too. And that, that flourishing would not have happened in the same way. And people used to tell me, by the way, they would say, 
get him out of here. They would po- they take put their arm around me, point to Sterling and go or Mr. Satan and say, get him out of here. Like I'm the I'm the white guy. They imagined that I had contacts downtown somehow just because I, that's the way white skin privilege manifested in the imagination of the people of Harlem who saw us playing. It was like, maybe you can get him out of here in the long run. I, in a way, that ended up happening, but it didn't really happen that way. Uh, it happened because we played in Times Square, and a woman named Rachel Farrell saw us and said, I'd like to bring you guys into the studio, and that ended up happening. Um, but you asked about the, the, what, the eulogy. What was it like? When I realized I wanted to go and, and, and testify, I really felt I needed to bear witness to, to, to what he'd become and, and to what, how we'd shaped each other's lives. And to the way in which he was, a, as I said in the eulogy, a kind of prophet of beloved community, Martin Luther King's ideal, which I think is a really important element of what he was doing, whether it was in Harlem or whether it was when we started to go out in the world in front of predominantly white audiences. He was always about brotherhood, and, and, and quite consciously so, quite consciously so. So I thought, I need to go and I need to do this for my friend, and, you know, flew down. Janet was not, Janet, his sister, who has power of medical attorney, kind of power of attorney and medical whatever. Um, she called me. She heard through the grapevine that I was interested in coming. She goes, Would, she called. She was so nice. She said, and we, and we had a sort of relationship, but I hadn't talked to her on the phone, I don't think. We would just see each other occasionally when I was down there, and she'd show up at gigs and stuff. She said, would you like to deliver the eulogy? And I said, yes. So, you know, I, what an honor. Here, here is this McGee family. Um, he had... Sisters Janet, then Mary and Martha. There were lots of, uh, Janet has two sons, one of whom is like a, an assistant DA in Pinellas County, another of whom is a, a military lo- a lawyer. I mean, very accomplished family. Um, Sterling was crazy Sterling, crazy Uncle Sterling, crazy Brother Sterling. Um, but they, they came to really understand his value with the help of the documentary and with the help of the music that we played for them on occasion when we were down there. I don't do a ton on Instagram, but I suggest you follow 45th Parallel Distillery on Instagram. Amazing photos and updates on what's happening at 45th. 45th Parallel is a family-owned craft distillery in New Richmond, Wisconsin. They opened their doors in 2007 and went from making a single vodka to producing dozens of different spirits, including gins, whiskeys, and citrus liqueurs. 45th Parallel Distillers are committed to a slow craft philosophy. Slow fermentation, slow infusion, slow distillation, slow blending, slow aging. Their mission is to create high-quality spirits using local ingredients whenever possible and to provide visitors with a great experience. Stop in and check them out at 1570 Madison Avenue, New Richmond, Wisconsin. Check out 45thparalleldistillery.com for hours and more information. So we're looking for a quality alcoholic beverage to enjoy while listening to your favorite local musicians. Try a 45th Parallel Distillery product. You won't be disappointed. Please drink responsibly. And so um, 11.30 was the service on Saturday morning and the skies had been a little cloudy in the morning. They were beautiful. And by God, like between 1125 and 1130, cloud, and then it started to rain at 1130. And it was a part of me that was, that was like, you know, thinking, Mr. Satan is saying, hell no, you're not going to put me down in the ground. <laughs> but it, and then, you know, it, it was fine. It was fine. And, and, um, I had just a few notes that I'd, that I'd taken. I, I tried to, I made the argument. I said, I want to talk to you about Sterling McGee, the musician, Sterling McGee, the man and mentor as I knew him, and then Sterling McGee, the prophet. 
those three things. I've actually done a YouTube video that's a sort of longer version. I just finished editing it today. It's sort of a longer version of this. But it seemed to me those three things were important, and they're not the same thing. People know him as a musician, and I made an argument for his greatness as a kind of triple threat one-man band. Um, and I do think that he deserves, in fact, I've talked to the outgoing head of the Blues Foundation, sort of said, I just want to make sure you guys are thinking about him someday for maybe the Blues Hall of Fame, because I really think that he set a standard for a one-man blues band. You can call us a two-man blues orchestra. He used to do that. Um, one thing I said, that's... how about a hand for the <laughs> When we play gigs, I would say, how about a hand for the band? You know, at that moment at the end when you're, how about a hand for the band? And he'd go, how about a hand for the rest of it? <laughs> you know? So one we thing were, uh, I we, took away from yeah. your eulogy that I, I thought yeah. it really hit me here right in the cigarettes, as they say, is when you yeah. talked about he was in his 50s and still was improving as a, mus a musician. He was not resting oh, yeah. on his laurels. And I think that's a very important thing for musicians to realize, even as we get older and things like that, you can still improve on stuff. And you were talking about him just from going doom, doom, to all of his, the intricate stuff he was doing with the drums and his right. feet, how he was yeah. still, even at that age and working and playing in the streets, improving and still passionate about getting better playing music. I re that really stuck out to me. I'm glad that that did. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I didn't. I don't think know if I said that in so many words. But you're, the way you're saying it, which is he's he, even at that age he was improving. I said I sort of saw his flowering. But you're right. That is another way to to think about it. And they're really the versions of the same thing. Interestingly enough, I kind of went through a parallel thing myself. I ended up through a very complicated kind of thing. A, a, a friend gave me something that, that got me to become a one man band. I, something I never thought about doing when I was with him. I never envied him their work, you know, uh, playing the percussion. And But I ended up becoming a one-man band in 2009 when I was 51. So, you know, it's crazy. But, like, he was 51 when U2 came by in the summer of 87. May, May, his, May 20th is his birthday, so he, was, he had just turned 51. I was just 51 when I became a one-man band myself. And I would urge your, your listeners to go and just Google... Crossroads Gusso, and you'll find I've got a video with, I think, three and a half million hits. That was the my version of Crossroads Blues. One man, no overdubs, just going nuts. That was, I mean, so early 50s. What's it with the early 50s? But one thing I had in my head when that, when that started to happen was I had all of the experience that I had of standing there and, and feeling and watching him, listen, and listening to him talk about how hard it was and how you just had to allow everything to come into, to, to, it would find its own level at a certain point. So I had a model, he would, and I didn't even talk about this in the eulogy, I had a model for how to grow as, as an early 50-something, as a musician, like when you're trying something new. So when I did Crossroads, when I did Crossroads Blues, and I said, I'm standing at the Crossroads, you know, I, I would talk about um, Sterling McGee coming by and like wave to him. It was almost like I was trying to, I wrote a, a new verse for Crossroads Blues or several verses, but what, that verse was really, I'm not at the Crossroads to meet the devil. I'm at the Crossroads and, and I'm there to wave to my master as almost kind of get a benediction or a blessing, like on my own self-reinvention as a one-man band, if that makes any sense. So there's this mystical thing, which means we actually have to talk about Rod Patterson and the next stage of the Satan and Adam story. Can I, can I take Absolutely. your audience there?
So the documentary Satan and Adam came out on Netflix in June of 2019. It was uh, in the film festivals the year before. I went around and sort of helped help the uh, filmmaker promote it. And I got in December of 2019, so this that year, had been out there for six months, I got an email from a guy named Rod Patterson. He goes, hi, I'm, uh, I'm Sterling McGee's nephew. I'm Sterling McGee's nephew. Um, and he basically said, and I'm a I'm a, a singer and a dancer, and I've been woodshedding with your your albums, the the Satan and Adam albums, and I can sing my uncle's songs. How about we make a demo and maybe put together some kind of a tribute show? And I thought that sounds great, but I it wasn't clear that he'd had a lot of experience singing like in a blues band, much less. I mean, I'm playing amplified harp and I'm playing foot drums, and I've got a guitar player. That's our the Blues Doctors duo. So I wasn't at all sure that that he would confident that he would be able to sing along with us. And he, he had an amazing, when we talked, and it turned out that we, we vibed the way that brothers would. It was a very mystical kind of thing. We would, partly because Sterling lived with Rod and his mom, who was Sterling's sister, Ollie, between 80 and 82. And then he comes up to, comes up to New York. He had become Satan during that period. And so Rod has a memory of, as a teenager of, of being there when Mr. Satan, when Satan, his, his, his uncle, who was living with them, would like do house parties and stuff and play blues, right? Rod was not a guitar player. Rod was just a, a, a dancer and, and into the blues sort of as a listener, but mostly R&B. And so we got together. He, he came and we, we, uh, we booked some studio time, um, it, it, basically a kind of homemade studio in Water Valley, Mississippi, that my friend Brian Ward, I don't know if you know Brian W. Ward, he's a, he was a Nashville guy for a while. Um, it, it, I wish I could remember the name of his group, but Brian produced all my albums. So Brian got a session together. Rod drives in five hours from Atlanta to Mississippi, walks through the door, get, hug each other like, like long-lost members of the family. It was a family thing. And within an hour, we are laying down tracks no More Doggin' was a lead track on a Satan Adam album. It, it, it's the first one we did. It was just a straight-ahead shuffle. And we listened to the playback, and it's like, damn. <laughs> you know, I'm, I was astonished. Because, you know, you go into the studio, you never get best-case scenario. It, it's really hard. Something always messes up. Somebody gets in a bad, a bad mood. Y you think there's a song you should start off with. You try it. You get three takes. It doesn't work. You go in and listen. We had none of that. It just worked. I mean, we had a little, at one point, a little, but basically 96.5% best case scenario, like on every front, including, um, so we, by the time that weekend was through in January, and, and by the way, COVID was a long way off, we had recorded seven or eight tunes, and not only did we realize we're way past a demo. <laughs> I mean, this is an album. You, you know, there's a, there was a moment, half my albums, I didn't intend to make an album. It was like, you're going in to put some songs down and suddenly, and that happened with Harlem Blues. Rachel Farrell, the producer, said, you guys have an album here, you know, as opposed to a demo. There's an album. Um, we need a few more cuts. So we had seven or eight, and it was like, I think we're a band. I think the Blues Doctors, so we, we tried to figure out what to call ourselves, and it was going to be the Satan and Adam Blues Review featuring Rod Patterson, and then it was like, we decided we were going to call the album Brother Sterling, and then we thought we'd call the act Brother Sterling, so ultimately, you know what? It was like, maintain brand integrity. You're Sir Rod. Rod goes by Sir Rod when he does 
his anti-bullying crusades in the Atlanta public schools, and he's sirrahed when he does his nursing home acts. He, he was like basically doing sing-along karaoke kind of stuff and shows where he would do Michael Jackson and, and, and Ray Charles and, and Sam Cooke and James Brown, all the dancing, and then he would sing along with uh, karaoke tracks, right? That's our blues singer, but, but it was fantastic. And so we have an act, Sir Rod and the Blues Doctors. We had a second session in February. That was the one where the day before the session, the afternoon before, I said, hey, I've got this background, this thing that has four chords. It's just A, C, D, F, all major chords. It's like a rock anthem, kind of a 70s blues rock anthem. And I said, can you write some lyrics? And he's told the story. He said, you know, I, I hoped I wouldn't like but then I said, I listened to it and I liked it, so I wrote Come Together. So he wrote Come Together in an hour and a half, brought it the next day when he drove to Mississippi. We, we laid it down. Got Jerry Jamat to lay some bass on it. And because my wife said it needs something else. My wife is the person I play stuff for. Made a run up to ID this week, get my air fixed and oil changed. The service there is the best I've ever had. The job was done early. The folks were super cool, super nice. Before I knew it, I was back on the freeway in my black Jeep Cherokee I got from ID Chrysler, Pine City, Minnesota. With 250,000 miles of my old car, just too much for the poor thing to take, I found myself looking for my new dream ride at ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the staff couldn't more help with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, as I call it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at ID cdjr.com or take the beautiful drive up 35 to 715 Northridge Court Northwest Pine City Minnesota to visit them in person business hours are Monday through Thursday 8 to 6 p.m. and Friday and Saturday 8 to 5 p.m. closed on Sundays check out ID Chrysler Pine City today and enjoy a safe fall season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride she goes it needs something else so we got some background vocals and then we got Jerry Jamato on bass, and that's the lead track uh, of the album, is our original. So for you personally, and mm-hmm. you've had a huge influence on my life and thousands of people's lives, just learning, teaching about the basic harmonica and things like that, who would be your Mount Rushmore of harmonica players that either influenced you? Mm. And I, I'd like to know more about Nat Riddles, but I don't know if there's time to do that, but I know he's one of your absolute heroes and your mentor um who would be your mount rushmore of harmonica players for you personally? yeah well in terms of in terms of sort of the influences on on, on me the on people you that I, yeah uh, so you know when i started off it was paul butterfield uh, james cotton was is huge and will, will always remain huge So for, you know, the, the, the album that flattened me, there were, there were two players that got me to play harmonica. The first was, was Magic Dick of the Jay Giles Band. And so Whammer Jammer, right? Um, maybe your audience, I should play just a little so that... Right? There's one place I beat up in there. But so Magic Dick, Jay Giles Band, and then James Cotton and the album 100% Cotton. 
And the song, the, the weird thing about this is that the first live blues show I ever saw was on the night that my first girlfriend said, we're through. I finally had my night driving license. I could, I was 17. It was like the spring of 75 and I was 17 years old, high school senior. And my first girlfriend who I, I really loved her had been stolen by a, the blues guitar player with long stringy hair <laughs> named Gordon Abrams, the, you know, in my high school. Right. And he's, he, he's the guy who taught me how to play my first blue note on guitar. Hey, you push it up, take that, take that minor third. And then he stole my girlfriend. And it was like, and I'm at the Rockland community college. And it is the, it is James Cotton opening for the Jay Giles band with magic Dick in 75. They were both at the top of their game and cotton gets up there. And of course I'd been listening let me see if I can do Creeper Creeps again. It's it's a... You know, like that. That was spot on. Oh, my God. God, that's like incredible. One of my favorite songs of all time. Here's the thing. I was sure. I, 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 obviously, I didn't sound like that as a 17-year-old. And I was sure that he had some different harmonica. It's like, what's he using? Because obviously, he's not, he's not using the same harmonica that I'm using. Um, but that sound, that... Something like that. Well, I'm a poor man sitting here all alone. Yeah, 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 sit here all alone. Well, a woman I love caught that train and gone. You know, I don't do that country style harp, but I, you know, 17 year old white kid in downstate New York, and I, I felt it. You know, what? how do you? How do you get into this music? People have often asked that. How do you get in? It, I think it has something has to be in you to respond to the specific sound that's there. And I loved blues guitar as much. I mean, I loved Albert, BB, and Freddie. Later, Albert Collins, Clapton. I, I loved, you know, Clapton's. People like to slam on Clapton as they love to slam on Joe Bonamassa. But I, I really, I, back then, my conception of it was just if I like this song, I'm not worried about the person's race. I just, it, it was clear, it was clear that older black guys had something that was connected deeply with the blues, right? When you're 16, 17, you don't understand America. You just understand there's something going on there. Um, but you also, I mean, Magic Dick is a god too, right? To a 17-year-old. He's, who is this guy with this little cigar and the sunglasses, dark glasses and Jewish afro? I mean, what? It's a world that you don't, you're trying to make sense of. But for me, this, it was the sounds that called to me. Um, I love, so for contemporary players, I don't, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, more important to me than harp was saxophone. Um, Nat Riddle's got me going on Big Walter with Carrie, Carrie Bell, that, that album. So Big Walter Horton was very important just in terms of the solidity of the sound.
But I also really loved Houston Person, Hank Crawford, those two, um, Maceo Parker, uh, Stanley Turrentine. Uh, Sugar is a song that I do and have done for many years. Um, and, and, you know, I, even trumpet players, I would listen to, to uh, well, I, I'd listen to um, the Latin jazz guys, um, Paquito de Rivera, you know, and just try to get a little bit of that flavor. Um, um, for example, here, you know, Monteca. I always had a kind of percussive, like rhythmic, and that's something that Sterling really brought out of me was just how important the rhythm is, the groove. If it doesn't have the groove, people can't dance, they can't sink into what you're doing. So even though I've been bodying forth some sort of powerful high energy stuff, it's really ultimately about the groove. Um, in fact, one time many years ago, I was playing on the street and a guy named Spencer Jarrett, who's just a, a, a balding, bespectacled you know, Jewish guy who, who played with all the greats in New York. He's a really good player. And he's in like a black gospel band now playing harmonica. He just came up to me I didn't know who he was, but he was part of that the downtown New York blues scene. And, and he said, "Hey, can I, can I, can I try?" So he pulled out a harp, and he just went so, like something like, locked in you know that straight ahead kind of stuff with the right blue notes and with and i just i i've never forgotten it was that kind of thing it was just three two one draw <laughs> but there's so much music down there and he, he kind of gave me a little lesson without trying to give me a lesson but i learned from everybody wow speaking of lessons once you started doing YouTube videos and that literally changed a lot of people's lives, you demystified the harmonica and talked about the, the meaning and the lifestyle and stuff behind yeah. it. There's two videos that, that changed my life. Tell me. One Tell me. you already talked about was you doing James Cotton's Creeper Creeps Again. And, of course, I collect James Cotton stuff from now on. I, I absolutely love that video you did explaining that. But the well, one is I am, a I am a disciple specifically of Sugar Blue. Because Me too. of you. Me too. He was hugely important. I'm and so he, he, I went down on my kind of, when I started this podcast, I went down to Chicago and picked him up in my car. By, and wow. we sat there all afternoon and, and jammed and, and did, taught, did podcasts. And I'm still oh, cool. in contact with him. He's in Italy right now, but he has new album Colors out. He's going to do this as soon as he gets a chance. Um, so I am just, I am a sugar blue for some reason, that kind of modern harmonica and his trail down to the old Big Walter guys and stuff, and I just kind of wanted your thoughts on on Sugar. Oh well, I, you know, I have a I have a website called Modern Blues Harmonica, and it has a top ten uh, sort of all time list, and which now has eleven players, by the way, um, and he's on that list uh, along with, by the way, the only two living players I think are him and Jason Ritchie. I'm not sure. 
Um, so I, for, that should tell you right away what I think. I think he's extremely important, and he, he's important for a couple of reasons. One is that technically, and, 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 you know, and you can see that Jason Ritchie couldn't exist without Sugar Blue. I would say that the, the kind of things that I do, he was very important. The high note stuff that I do, um, and I'll show you a particular thing that I, that I, that I learned from him. And Nat Riddles pushed me in his direction. Nat said, Sugar was the great one-man, like, solo street harp player in New York. He says he, he blew everybody away. He said traffic would just stop when Sugar would set his amp down and play. Um, and I talked to a woman who, I think, who, who dated him many years ago, and she goes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you one of my favorite bars in the Roseville-St. Paul, Minnesota area. The B Dale Club, located on the corner of County Road B, and Dale's motto is a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And that is a fact. The food at T-Bird's Cafe and Takeaway is always spectacular. Squeaked out one final outdoor show at B-Dale this week and was an absolute blast. A little cold, but the B-Dale crew kept us rocking. Rob, Natalie, Shelley, and the entire bar staff are all state-of-the-art cocktail wizards. I've been told that they're being talked about in these podcast ads. The Wallers Woodhill Cocktails are selling like hotcakes. Karaoke, live music, pool table, pool tents, bingo nights, botch ball tournaments, and much, much more. B-Deal's got it all. Stop by for a cold one soon. You know, he, what he did is he brought a certain kind of bebop thing. If, I, if you listen to his really early recordings, ask him about the album with, uh, with Brownie McGee and Louisiana Red, Blues is Truth, which is a hard album to find, I think. I don't know if it's... It certainly it's an album nobody talks about, but it's early Sugar Blue, and you can hear him doing this bebop stuff where he hits a higher note on the offbeat. It, it comes from be, uh, bebop, I'm sure. Um, and it just, there's, there's very, uh, Paul DeLay does a little bit of that. So Paul DeLay is actually one of my heroes too. I, don't, I haven't really spent any time copying him, but I can recognize that he was something exceptional. And Sh Sugar, Sugar Blue is the same way. I, I would see him back in the day. Um, he would come to New York and you know, he, he would sort of hit you over the head it was, it, it, with his music. There was just no other harp player around. We're spoiled by having Jason Ritchie out there, I think, with that level of technical ability, that's sort of all over the full, full spectrum, whole one to the whole ten and back. But Sugar was doing that first, like nobody else was doing. So he just paved the way. The other thing that I think is really important is the fact that he was a New York, Harlem-born, kind of New York-based harp guy who went to Chicago. And so he represents a kind of, and learn from those guys too. And he represents a kind of fusion of the two traditions so that he, he's not just a Chicago player, but what he's ended up doing is he's kind of redesigned what the contemporary blues ensemble is. And I'd like to think I'm a, a good appreciator of his accomplishments. So that it's not just about his own instrumental prowess, but it's that he, he does messing with the kid. He does hoochie coochie man. And the way that he does them, with Rico McFarland, I oh, think. Oh, God. He's the next the guy that, I want to have on. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that exceptional level. Of, and by the way, Jason Ritchie always plays best when he has really high-energy guitar players with him. J uh, Dennis Grunling, same kind of thing. It's like harp players sometimes when they get that right guitar player, and certainly this was true for me, but I think it's true for, for Sugar Blue and Rico McFarland. You get somebody who pushes you, and the two of you are going to push each other. And so I think that he has modernized the, the, he's, he's like the guy who took the Muddy Waters sound, on Chicago ensemble sound and repertoire, w Willie Dixon, Muddy Waters stuff, and modernized it. And I think that's, the, and the Junior Wells kind of thing, and modernized it, and sort of took it to the next place. And I don't think that people 
consciously appreciate that in quite the way they ought to in terms of his overall achievement. So, and um, just let me consi- show you one- yeah, and yeah. consistently putting out new albums. Like he has, he puts out an album every couple of years, and it's always just oh, yeah. he adds his little licks, little new nuances to his playing. I got to add one more thing before you go on. So when I do okay. my Sugar Blue, I do my I try to mix mine between like Big Walter and Sugar Blue weird mixes that I do. And okay. uh, I'm not saying it's any good or not. I'm just yeah, saying that's no, what show I do. Me what you, yeah, show but me. Um, what when I do it, they're always like, oh, it sounds like they think it's, oh, is that Blues Traveler? Can you play Run Around? And so what Popper, are your thoughts? Because yeah. no one ever talks about John Popper. So what? what's your thoughts on him? I mean, I'm, well, a, I'm a total Sugar Blue. I don't know one Blues Traveler song. I mean, I know it from the radio, but I don't play it. I anymore. don't either. Well, my thoughts on him are... Um so John, John Popper, he revolutionized the harmonica, too. And in fact, I'd say he and Sugar Blue together were taking, took it in, a, in a places technically that it had never been. So actually, both of them are important. I knew Popper. It's interesting. I knew him back in the, in the late 80s. So I knew him before he was with um, Blues Traveler, when they were just in the earliest stages, before he was famous. And he'd come to the jam session at Dan Lynch, the blues club where I learned how to play. And he had a kind of disdain for the old school stuff. Uh, Sugar Blue does not have a disdain, but, but he did. He, he, he wanted to blow everybody away. And I remember being with him in Central Park. I remember a jam session that I went to where he came with his band and they, they stood up there and they just, they, you know, he did like stuff that made us all go like, what the hell is that? He doesn't actually have much of a sense of blues tonality. I'll just, I'm happy to go on the record and say that. I, I, I can appreciate his achievement, um, but he's not much of a blues player. He's a phenomenal, world-historical rock player, and I, and I don't say that with disdain. I, I think he, he was so good and so original, so good and technically good and so original, um, and, he's, and he's actually a great singer, <laughs> great distinctive singer. Instant, you, can, you can hear him instantly. But Runaround, I remember when Runaround came out, it was all over the radio. And, it, and, and I did a few sessions where the producer would say, can you give me that popper sound? Um, and, you know, and I, I, I don't know what he's doing. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. But I wanted to just, so that's what I think of popper. I think, I think um, not actually a very good blues player. I, I heard him here at the campus at Ole Miss. He came and, and um, you know, amazing stuff. But when he goes to the, the, the three hole, when he goes to lower holes, he's just, he doesn't really, that's not his thing. He's a rock player, and, and he's, a, he's a fantastic rock player, as was uh, Jimmy Z, I think. People talk about him. I want to just play you the th- thing I learned from Sugar Blue. Yeah, well, I, I want to talk Sugar Blue a minute. What key are you in? So this is an F harp, oh and it was, uh, it was uh, the Sonny Boys tune, Pontiac Blues. Um, and I don't know what he did, but I remember the solo. <laughs> Something like that. So that's all I can do of Sugar Blue. But it was getting, getting some of that stuff, even a little bit of it, helped me understand. He was one of the first people who really used the high end melodically. Um, so... Yeah, that's all I'll say. I'm trying to do. Uh, I'll kind of. I'll play some of the my sugar yeah, sure. blue kind of stuff or whatever. But I'm trying to do the, like I'm. I'm trying to do the sugar blue, but I'm trying to make it kind of. I try to. I call it like a waterfall effect as I'm trying to go for when cool. I do the sugar blue Let's stuff. Hear. So I kind of leave more. So. 
So that's kind of my yeah, sugar blue yeah, thing. Yeah, so I'm I, trying to do like like so he does that. I when I asked him, it's like him bouncing a basketball before he shoots a free throw, and then he takes off. And I'm trying to make it more of a wall like. Like him, yeah, excellent, excellent. And I can hear. I mean, I, there's a there's a there's certain melodic runs that only he does. He uses that six hole a lot. Um, it, it's great. You know, you're making me think, of course, about <laughs> what he's all. He'll always be best known for. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He lo- and his funky yeah. versions that is just incredible. So. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's my harmonica, one of my favorite guys. But I learned about him through you, you breaking down his song "Crystalline" Good. on one of your videos years ago. I remember that I did that, didn't I? Yeah, I, I yeah, you know, I made I probably have 850 videos out there at this point, and there's a lot that I haven't gone back to. They they pop up at strange moments in in my own YouTube feed, and I go, "Oh crap! Wow, that's right, I did that." Um, let me. I, I have to go, but I want to make sure people know that there is one other thing they might think about if they if they if they go out. You can go to Amazon and look for Sir Rod and the Blues Doctors, uh, an album called "Come Together," with uh, you know the next chapter of the Satan and Adam story featuring Sterling McGee's nephew Rod Patterson, Sir Rod Patterson. But I also have a book that you might look for. It's coming out this fall. Who's Blues Facing Up to Race and the Future of the Music? Um, Sugar Blue shows up in this because he's made some. Um, over the years, some some powerful comments about the blues, um, and I, I think seriously about them and uh, critique them, but also they send me on a journey. It's not just about that, but he is very much in the opening chapter of this and in several other places. So um, he's an important, f- f- uh, he's a very important critical voice out there getting us to think more deeply and and clearly, hopefully, but he's a powerful voice asking us to think about the blues in different ways. Awesome. Thank you, so, Adam, for being on the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Thanks, Mark. That was a great conversation, and, I, and I really, uh, I'm looking forward to what you get out of it. I really am. All right. So. Have a great day, Adam. Right, Thank man. you so much. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. People, people, people. Every day I got a smile on my face. I'm so glad to see you. Come on. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for new podcasts about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday. If not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places, podcasts are available. Again, please support this week's sponsors, 45th Parallel Distillery, ID Chrysler, Pine City, and the B-Dale Club. This is also a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on this show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging in iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music swear. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time.
Sing. 